It might be my favorite line in all of David's story. The piece of this verse that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, and it says, No, I ins- this is David speaking, No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. It's with these words and then a brief mention of the altar that David built and the sacrifice that he made and God answering his prayers that the book of 2 Samuel comes to a close. And yet the story wasn't over yet. There was a lot that was left to happen in David's life and beyond what was happening in his life and his family. There was so much that was left to happen. And yet for some reason, this book chooses to end right here. Commentator John Goldengay says, as usual, these narrative books stop rather than finish. Second Samuel just stops. David's life isn't finished. His story isn't finished. There are still things that are worth being told and other books of the Bible tell us those stories. But this book ends here. And as I looked through the ending, it is my assumption that there has to be a reason for the choice to end at this spot. I wonder if for us it means that there's something that we're not supposed to miss. Even though it's so easy to, to read this and continue right on into the book of 1 Kings and read more about what happened in David's life. But if there's something we're not supposed to miss that we're supposed to grab right here. For several months, we have been journeying alongside David's story. As we've done so, we've looked at some of his greatest days, some of the most memorable experiences of his his life, but we've also looked at some of his most disappointing days. We've seen some of his greatest successes, and we've spent time looking at some of his greatest failures. And in the process, as we've done so, we've tried to identify what is it that brought God to describe this man as one after my own heart. That's what God had to say about David. Why did he say it? What was going on? Why is this the only person who's described this way? At two different times in the scriptures, David has spoken to this way, but only David. And as we've been in the series and we've been journeying, we've been also trying to ask the question, how is it that we can strive to be this kind of people? That we can strive to be a people who are after God's own heart. Last week, we began to move towards a conclusion in this series. And as we continue moving towards the conclusion, (coughs) this week and next, sorry about that, in the moving that direction last week, we stopped and recognized (coughs) what I think is the most significant truth about this description that God had for David. The most significant truth about what we're supposed to find and what we're supposed to see. And it wasn't about David at all. That truth of this description was actually about God. It was the reality that God delighted in David. God chose David. God loved David. 
And if, and if this is true, and this is the most significant piece of what it means for, for David to have lived this way, and I really believe that that's what we're supposed to see over and over again throughout the story, then I think we also find that even though this description is never used of any other character in the scripture, we find that if that's the key component, if that's the key element, that it's actually true over and over and over again. It isn't hard for us to recognize that God also delighted in other characters that we read about in the Bible, that God also deeply loved them, that this is true about Abraham and Esther and Moses and Ruth, Adam and Deborah of Peter and Lydia of Paul and Rahab, that over and over again in these stories that God had a deep love for these people, that God delighted in them. Throughout the story of the Bible, we see that God selected partners Women and men whom God loved deeply and he invited them to join him in the work of re-creation, of putting things back together the way they were intended to be in the very beginning. And I think that a significant promise of the scriptures is also the reality that this choosing extends far beyond the pages of the scripture, far beyond what we can read. That there are heroes that we never even read about. Significant heroes of the faith whose names never got written in the pages of the scriptures or whose names only were written with none of their stories, with none of the identifying characteristics. They were simply mentioned and it moved right on. I think we also see that there are tons of faith heroes that came after the pages of the scripture were wrapped up. After that was concluded, we continue to find heroes of the faith, heroes who have gone before us, who have walked boldly in faith, who were loved by God, who were delighted in by God. And I think that that same promise reminds us that you and me, we are people who God delights in. We are people who God desires to partner with. So this most important element of what it means for us to be women and men after God's own heart, what it means for us to live in this way, it's already true of us. It is already true that God loves and delights in you. And you, and you, and you, and me. And then the calling is for us to continue to live into that. To recognize that God's delight brings upon us a sacred opportunity. We have the privilege to partner with God. We have the chance at a special relationship with the Creator. We have been invited into community with the Savior. David lived into this sacred, this sacred privilege. Story after story we watch as David partnered with God in the work that God was doing. And sometimes he partnered incredibly well and other times he was a terrible partner. But nonetheless, he was partnered with God and that continued to be true. And he continued to work in that way and move in that way. And because of this special relationship that David have had with God, we watch as he interacted with God in some incredibly beautiful and unique ways. Time and time again, no matter what David had done, no matter what he'd seen, no matter what he had experienced, we see David worship 
the Lord. We see David come back and worship God. And in his worship, we watch as these incredible relational interactions take place between David and God. The book of Psalms is, in many ways, our best example of watching David worship over and over again. We found some of those in First and Second Samuel, but we also find some of these songs and these poems, these, these psalms written in this entire book, this collection of songs that David used for worship. And in them, we see that David told God when he was angry. We see that David begged God for special favors. We see that David celebrated when God had blessed him. We see that he cried out when he was lonely or when he was broken or when he was in need of rescue. If you read through the book of Psalms, we find that David was so in love with God that nothing was off the table. Everything was spoken, everything was shared, everything between David and God was free game. David and God had a special kind of relationship. It was initiated by God because of God's delight in David. But David had responsibility in this relationship. David had roles that he was supposed to play. And he's described in this unique way as after God's own heart because of God's delight in him, but also because of David's delight in God. And seemingly, for him to be there, for us to find our way there, it seemingly requires both. And we're already told that God is delighted in us, so now it is ours to find delight in God and what God is doing and who God is. To be women and men after God's own heart, we come to this place of being delighted in who God is and the ways in which God is working. Second Samuel chapter 24, the chapter that we read from. We read the very end of it, but the chapter that we read from, I don't think I want that yet. Take that away for a second. I'll get back there. <clears throat> Things were not going as David hoped they would go in this chapter. It's really a difficult chapter to read. Things had all fallen apart again. David even probably had some reasons why he could have been angry at God. If you read this entire chapter from the beginning to the end, and again, we only read the end, but if you read it from the beginning to the end, it's really fascinating and really difficult. It stirs in us some difficult questions. And I'll be honest with you, I think those questions are completely fair to ask. I actually think that those questions are right for, her to, for us to ask. We should struggle some with 2 Samuel chapter 24. However, as we sit here, because our time is limited, because of the nature of our format, if we spend too much time on the early stuff, I'm afraid we get distracted from what I think is supposed to be a very intentional conclusion to the book of 2 Samuel. So, I, so I'm not trying to dodge those things, although in this time we're not going to focus there, we're not going to spend time on there. But I'm more than willing to have a conversation with you over some of the difficulties. Because I've wrestled with those difficulties this week. I've struggled with them also, and I'm more than willing to talk about them. But, in, but I don't want to focus there. I don't want us to get distracted. I want us to shift our focus towards those last verses that we read. So let me just briefly sum up part of what's taking place in Second Samuel chapter 24. Part of why things have gotten so ugly for David. 
The people of Israel were suffering. And they were suffering because David had sinned. David had done something that had displeased God. We also find that God was already upset at the Israelites because of what was taking place. But there is this disappointment from God. And we see that the Israelites are suffering. And they're suffering because of what David had done. And then this really interesting kind of unique thing. God lays out three options for the consequences for David's sin. And he says, David, choose which one. So David picked. And all of them meant that the people would suffer for what David had done. But in the process of this taking place, in this suffering, we watch as this plague begins to get the people, as it begins to take over, and we're told that 70,000 people have died. The people that David was supposed to care for, the people that he was supposed to be leading, were suffering because of what he had done wrong. And according to the story... It broke him. This suffering devastated him and he cried out to God. Now, Jackson, I want that verse. Verse 17, it says this. It says, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. There's evidence here, again, of this special relationship we've talked about between God and David. That David has the boldness to cry out to God and to say, no, 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 no. Stop punishing them and punish me. I did this. This is about me. That God, that David had the freedom to speak so boldly to God, to, to speak his pain and his disappointment, his heartache and his anger. And we're told that God responded. God had already responded in that God, too, was broken and the plague had begun to wind down. It had come to a conclusion. But we watch as David cries out that Gad, that's the one I read about a minute ago, not God, Gad at this time. Gad, who is the angel of the Lord, now for them that did represent the physical presence of the Lord. So this angel named Gad, which can confuse us between the two, is supposed to represent God is present with David. This angel carried with it the weight of the word of God. And as David cried out, this angel brought God's instructions to David and said, Go to this place and build an altar. The angel of the Lord said, Go and worship the Lord. Because the reality is that's what an altar and a sacrifice was. The altar and the sacrifice were the ways in which David was called to worship God. It was a, it was a means of confession, a way in which he would confess for the things that he had done wrong. It was also a, a representation of a sacred meal shared between David and God or any others that would have performed um, The building of an altar, which represented the presence of God, and then the sacrifice, the burning, and sharing this sacred meal together. It also served as a visible sign that there was only one God, one Lord, the one and only God that David was willing to worship. So David went where he was told. 
He went where he'd been told to make the sacrifice. And when he got there, the piece that we read says the owner met him there. The owner met him and he said, King, what are you here to do? And he tells him about what's happening. And he says, here, take it. Take the land. Take my ox. Take the wood. Take the yoke. Everything that you need for the sacrifice. Here, I'll give it to you. You can have it. It is yours. David, who'd come to worship David, who had come to make a sacrifice, everything was being handed to him, and David refused the offer from the owner. David had come to worship, but he was unwilling to do so in a way that wouldn't cost him something. Through all of David's ups and downs... We come to this place, and I think intentionally the story of 2 Samuel ends with us recognizing that David found his way back to God. Even in his failures, even in his sin, even in his suffering, he came back to this special relationship. David came back to worship time and time again. And this is the reason that I think Second Samuel ends this way. This is what we're supposed to find and see. This is what we're not supposed to miss. And the reality that for David, this act of worship, this act of confession, this act of coming back and serving the one and only Lord could not be easy. It had to be more than lip service. It had to stretch him beyond his comfort levels. It had to cost him something. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes, for us... Also, life is hard. Things don't always go the way that we wish that they would. Some days we walk through incredible pain. Some days doctors tell us things that we weren't expecting. Some days loved ones die. Some days jobs disappear. Some days Car trouble happens. Our furnaces break down. Some days relationships fall apart. Some days we fail tests at school. Some days others get the promotion that we know we deserve. Some days hope fades. Some days dreams die. Some days prayers don't get answered the way that we imagined that they would be answered. I suspect you've all been there at least once. So how, as a people after God's own heart, how are we supposed to respond on these difficult days? How are we supposed to respond when we can't understand why this is taking place? How is it that we're supposed to respond when we're angry? Angry at the situation, angry at our own poor choices, angry at the choices of others, angry even at God. How are we supposed to respond when it feels like our world has fallen apart? When everything is against us, when everyone is against us, when even God is against us, when especially it feels like God is against us. How do we respond? 
In this passage, I think that we see that the model that David has given to us is that on good days and bad days, we are supposed to find our way back to worship. The model of David is that we return from our sin and we come back to the God who delights in us. The model of David is that we voice our anger, that we ask our questions, that we declare our doubts. The model of David is that we tear down the walls that separate us from God. We become completely open, completely honest, completely broken, and we understand that God can handle every bit of it. Even better, God wants us to bring those struggles to God. God wants us to wrestle through it. God wants each and every piece. When we've run, God invites us to come home again. When we've suffered undeserved difficulties, God offers comfort. And friends, when we can't see the answers, when we can't understand, God gives us a chance to sit with him and wait. And we may never, ever find the answers to our questions. But in the presence of God, we will be reminded that we are deeply loved by the Savior of the world. The model of David is that you and I become a people who consistently return to the Savior with a worship that costs us something. The way of being women and men after God's own heart is that you and I receive the delight that we've been offered from God, but also that we choose to delight in God. The way of being women and men after God's own heart is that you and I recognize that worship isn't about us. Did you hear that? Worship isn't about you or me. It isn't about our wants or our desires or our needs. It is not about the benefits that we receive from. And yet too often we believe that our faith, that our church, that our worship is mostly about our own benefit. So very often I hear questions or comments. I see people who leave churches because it wasn't meeting my needs. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Because according to the scriptures, worship was never intended to meet your needs or my needs. Worship was never supposed to do that. And yet too often we find ourselves concerned with whether or not worship is fulfilling our expectations. Is the preacher preaching the way that I want him or her to be preaching? Is the music stirring me the way that I believe it's supposed to? Does it start at the time that I prefer for worship to start? Does it end quickly enough for me to get to my more pressing appointments? You wouldn't call them more pressing, but the way that you act means that they're much more pressing. 
Friends, I'm not trying to attack you or us or churches in general because I believe that we are a people who love Jesus. I believe that that is true. I believe we love Jesus. I believe we love the church. And I believe that we love worship. I just believe that we love it more when it costs us nothing and brings us huge benefits. I think we actually love those things, but we love them more when they cost us nothing and benefit us greatly. But the scriptures show us that worship done rightly. Faith lived in the way that God has called us to live costs us. It costs us money. As we give tithes and offerings back to the church and the kingdom of God. It costs us financially to be participants in what God is doing. It costs us time as we give of ourselves to serve the church, to serve the community, to serve the poor, to serve the outcast. It costs us our personal desires as part of what it means for us to worship rightly means that we sacrifice ourselves on the altars. That we surrender our lives and our budgets and our priorities. We surrender our schedules and our relationships. We surrender everything that we have around us to the Savior. It costs us to walk in faith with Jesus. It costs us to worship We have been called to come to the altar, to build an altar that represents the presence of God, to spend whatever it takes for us to collect the things that we have and then to burn them up on the altar, to sacrifice every bit of it and say, God, this belongs to you. I belong to you because in doing so, we show our delight in God Who already delights in us. Worship. Is not about us. It's about the God. Who delighted in us. Before we ever delighted in him. It's about the reality. That our delight. Should cost us. Something because the scriptures tell us. It has already cost. God in significant ways. And next week, as we move one more Sunday closer to Christmas, one more week along in the story of Advent, we will talk about some of the sacrifice that God has given because of God's delight in us. So how do we respond? How do we find delight in the Savior? How do we worship in ways that cost us? Pray with me, would you? God of Father, would you teach us to be a people who are deeply in love with you? Would you show us what that means and show us how to love you better? To overflow with love for you because of the great delight that you have already shown in us.
Jesus, would you give us the courage to sacrifice? We thank you for your love for us and the beautiful ways in which you've shown us. Would you give us courage to give back? To worship in ways that cost us. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are alive and well and stirring in our midst. So today, would you give us the boldness to worship? To worship as a people full of delight. To worship as a people willing to sacrifice. On behalf of our King, our Savior, our Lord. God, give us courage to worship today in ways that cost us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.